How's everyone doing? Everyone rub the shoulder of the person on, on, on your left and say, hey man, it's awesome to be in church this morning. I see that person rubbing no one's shoulder over there. All right. Awesome. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm really excited to be in the house of God this morning. Anyone else join me? A couple on this side. Anyone on that side? Anyone excited to be here this morning? There we go. Come on, let's get ready. Let's praise our God because He's worthy of all praise, yeah? yeah Come on, coming. put your hands together. Here we go. Here we go. Breaking open every tide of mine. Your love is breathing out into my life. You take my burden and you make it light. You make it light. Come on with your hands. Come on, church. Bringing a sound that will break the night. I choose to follow you for all my life. I know that you are always by my side. You're by my side. Come on, kids, you know the words. In everything we do, we choose to praise you. No matter what they say, we will go your way. Dancing to your feet, we can't contain it.
Lift a shout of praise. Come on. Give him everything we got. We give you a shout of praise this morning as we focus on you, Lord. Yes, Lord. We focus on you this morning. Who believes we've got an awesome God? Can I get an amen? Who believes we've got an awesome God? Can I get an amen? Come on. Here as we lift you up, you are riding on our praise, being thrown over everything, you are seated in our praise. This is prophetic, I can feel it in the air. We lift our praise and you change the atmosphere. With hearts open now, everybody singing out. I Sound of praise, make it louder than any other. Lift him up and shout his name. Yeah. 
make it louder than any other. Lift him up and shout his name over all. Turn it up, this sound of praise. Make it louder than any other. Lift him up and shout his name over God, a shout of praise this morning. Lord God, we glorify you. Lord, we lift you up. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your house, Lord, of today and worship you. Glorify you. Lord, we just come and we praise you. Lord God, we lift you up. And everyone said, Amen. Who's, uh, who's, who's glad to be at church this morning? Fantastic. Well, you guys can all take a seat. Take a seat. That's awesome. My name's Lou Ferber. I'm on uh, staff here. I lead the uh, high schoolers. Uh, so it's so much fun doing that um, with a whole lot of awesome people. And so uh, if this is your first or second time uh, here, we would love to give you a little something. And so how we do that is uh, to the right outside the doors, there's two brown tables and there'll be somebody in a green shirt or there'll be uh, someone there that will just give you a free coffee card and, and you can ask all of your tricky questions to them. Um, about this place and, and we'd love to connect with you and get to know you. Is that good? Great. So church, why don't we give uh, them a hand if this is your first or second time. So uh, after the 9 a.m. Uh, after the 9 a.m. this morning, someone uh, came up and said, oh, Eastside, you've got a good looking bench there. Uh, referring to me and Josh. Josh is uh, preaching. And so uh, the bench is on uh, the Sunday because Sheridan and Jan, they're away in India uh, on an awesome uh, missions trip uh, there. And then uh, Ray's in somewhere else doing uh, at a wedding, at a family wedding. So uh, keep them in your prayers. Keep the guys in India uh, in your prayers and pray for safe travel for them. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great morning uh, indeed. Who's, uh, has any of you kids, have any of you guys, do you guys want chocolate? Okay, well, you only get some if it's been your birthday. <laughs> and that goes to the rest of the church too. So uh, if you've had a birthday or an anniversary, uh, come join me in the middle and uh, we will give you some chocolates. Oh, this is how many years? The 28 for the Mills. Great. Stephen Shirley. Says, well, we've got quite a few. Fantastic. Church, won't give these guys a round of applause. Fantastic. All right, how about you stand with me and we're going to uh, pray. The, uh, the prayer's on the screen if you'd like to join in with us. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favor, prosperity, and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well done, guys. Did I say Man. <laughs> so, uh, we've got uh, one really exciting thing. We've got a church-wide event coming up uh, called the Oscars. Now, the Oscars is a fantastic event. Um, it is an event for the whole church, but really it's an event that celebrates uh, the youth ministry um, here at Activate Church. And so 
anybody can come and especially we've got this one award we call it the old timer award and the old timer award is award that we give out to somebody that doesn't serve necessarily in youth ministry but helps out and so it is open to the whole church so if you have helped out in any way or if you're a parent uh, of, of a young one, uh, of a teenager, then make sure you get along. We've got 156 seats available. It's at Hoyt's, we hire out um, Hoyt's Tiawa, one of the cinemas and uh, their bar, but don't worry, it's not an actual bar. That's just what they call it. Um, but it's a whole, it's a really fun event. So we have like a ceremony, we give out trophies and, and celebrate the year and then we watch a movie together. And this year it's uh, open to the year eights. So if you're a year eight, you're more than welcome to join us. It's on a Thursday night. Um, and so make sure you get along. So I've got a little clipboard. Come see me afterwards and I'll reserve your space. It's $25 is the early bird if you pay before the 29th of November. Cool? So who's coming to the Oscars? Okay, there's... Pardon? Oh, and there's the... Fr- yeah, I told them about the movie. Yep. So, kids... You guys may leave now. So uh, we've got most of them out that way, and then the youngest runs out that way. I was, I was forgetting what. Zero to five's out that way. The rest out that way. Is that right? I got you. I got that. So um, our world was shocked by, uh, struck by a terrible, terrible thing yesterday, which was the um, attacks on France, which um, really deeply saddens us all. And um, Tim Marsden's going to come up now, and I'd love for you to join, and we're going to pray for the city of Paris um, and what they're going through, what they're going through as a country. And, and just um, So if you'd like to stand as, as Tim leads us in a prayer. Lord, Lord, we don't know what to what to say here. Lord, we don't know what to think. Lord, we uh, we look at the news. Lord, we look think of Paris. Lord, we think about the people there and and what they're going through. Lord, people who are directly affected, who either have had family members or loved ones involved. Lord, or or just a part of that environment. Lord, of terror, of uh, of uncertainty Lord of just not knowing what's going on Lord and where the next thing's coming from Jesus uh, Lord we just start by asking for your your calm and your peace Lord and your comfort to be in that place Lord particularly with those of, of your kids Lord who live in that city Lord who have some influence and some reach into the environment Lord who who uh, are part of responder teams Lord who are part of hospitals and infl- enforcement and, and churches and whatever they happen to be Lord I just pray that first and foremost Lord you just grant them peace, comfort and wisdom, Lord, in their role and whatever that is inside Paris, Lord. Lord, we think about people in power, Lord, as they as they reel from this, Lord, and they think and, and consider what they can do about it, if anything, Lord. Lord, how to respond, Lord, how to how to in wisdom, Lord, and in, uh, in, in compassion, Lord, reach out to their own people, Lord, and, and, and consider this, Lord. But uh, as we ask for you to be with everybody there affected, Lord, not just there, but also around the world, people who have connections and and uh, and links, Lord, with Paris and with people involved, Lord. I just I, I just want to 
acknowledge, Lord, that this is, we, it's so easy to look at evil men and, and call evil deeds like these, Lord. Lord, but we want to step back a little and we want to place the blame firmly at the feet of the enemy, Lord, and say this is something that we acknowledge and we recognize as Satan's work in this world, Lord, to cause division, to cause terror, Lord, to create, uh, cause separation, Lord, to... Uh, bring hopelessness and bring terror into people's lives. In the name of Jesus, as a body of Christ, Lord, we stand against that, Lord. We ask that you push back against the enemy, Lord. Lord, first and foremost, we ask on a spiritual level, Lord, to push back against this ideology, Lord, that has infiltrated Islam, Lord, that's having a, uh, a, a, a just a terrible effect, not just in Paris, but around the world. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask that you resist, Lord, on our behalf, Lord, that your angels go forth, Lord, and do battle. And Lord, we pray for people who are, uh, uh, are caught up in, in the edges of this type of ideology, Lord, who, who are, uh, are seduced and pulled by it. In the name of Jesus, we ask for you to supernaturally intervene. Lord, these are people who don't know you and have no interest in, in knowing you, Lord, but that doesn't uh, limit you. Lord, that doesn't uh, create an environment where you cannot be strong, Lord. And I just pray that you are uh, at work in this world, Lord. Lord, where you need your children, Lord, to be uh, in places and saying things and doing things, Lord, to intervene here, Lord, I pray that you'll grant them insight and wisdom, Lord, that uh, a tide can turn, Lord. Lord, we, we look at this world and, and how it's uh, reeling. It's so easy to sit back and say, well, this is the end times, Lord. This is what uh, Revelation points to, Lord. But we, uh, we can't be passive, Lord, and we can't be uh, taking our hands off our responsibility as, as believers, Lord, to pray for this world, Lord. Pray for your people and ask, Lord, that none be lost, Lord, that none be pulled away, Lord, and, and, and uh, taken away from a chance of, of knowing you, Lord, and the uh, reconciliation with your, uh, via your, your son, Lord, to you. So, Jesus, I just pray that uh, that, that is the, the message out of this, Lord. This is a, a message to, of resistance and pushback and hate, Lord, and return, a turn to compassion, Lord, and a turn to love, Jesus. But Lord, we just, above all that, Lord, we just hold these people involved in Paris, Lord. Uh, we just ask that your, your, your love somehow finds a way through the pain, Lord. It somehow finds a way through the confusion and the terror. And Lord, just touches something deep inside people, Lord, and, and starts a, a change and a revolution there, Lord, that will spread through Europe and the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. You guys can take a seat. And Kit's going to come up and lead us around communion. morning church okay as the host team um, hand out the elements I just wanted to take a look this morning at the actual word communion and I think I've spoken in the past about the first part of the word which is kind of common and um, a common thing that we we do together and we share together and today I want to take a focus on the second part of the word because there's quite a bit of power in that and that it's union um, union and the definition of union is an act or an instance of uniting or joining two or more things into one and as we think about that joining two or more things to one that's really what communion was about it was about the father being able to connect with us and so Jesus did that through um, through dying on the cross he came so that we could have union with him with the father that we could be united and that's really the message um, and I think it's powerful that it's within our English word but that sums up what the cross was about it was about union and as in any, any marriage if you just had a union based on the marriage ceremony and then that was it 
um, it's going to be what we call just on paper, isn't it? If there was no connection and no communion and no union that continued, then it would just be um, all about the paper. And, and sometimes I think it can be easy to have that connection with God when we're first saved, but sometimes that connection, ongoing union, is what Christ came for. It's the ongoing um, growth and connection and union that we partner with the Father. And if you just take a moment to think about that, we partner with with Father God in every day and everything we do. And it's a powerful thought to think about. We've got union with Christ in all that we do, in every role that we're in. And um, Jesus says quite a bit about um, his union with the Father. And I just wanted to read from John 10. And he talks about... um, as sheep and knowing the voice of the Father. After the shepherd has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. In verse 17 he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus demonstrates so clearly in that passage of what it's like to be in union with God. It's a total free choice. It's a total... Um, choice that we have to submit and to, to lay our lives before God um, and it's a, a choice that we have to um, to hear and to commune with God and to connect with the Father and to know His voice and um, this morning I just want to spend a little bit of time and just connect to that place of connection with the Father and I don't know what your week's been like and your day's been like but I've had a crazy busy week this week and it's not looking any better next week but just take the moment today while we're in this presence to connect um, with Father and to have communion with Him and so when we're finished handing out I think we're done we're just, if you just close your eyes I'm going to pray and then for some of you this might be a bit different from what you've done but I'd like you just to try and picture the Father um, and picture um, and I'm going to lead you around that and then when you've got that picture then to have your communion with him and to connect with him in this time so let's just close our eyes we thank you Father that you so desire a connection with us that's an equal connection where we lay our lives before you Lord but you give us um, those desires of our heart, you connect with us and you walk and you want to partner with us in a a union and Lord I pray as we take communion this morning as we think about the sacrifice your son had to go through for our connection with you God that you will reveal yourself in an even greater way to us today so just picture the father, can you see him you get close to him? How close can you get? 
see his face? Can you look into his eyes? And as you take communion, what does he want to say to you this morning, just for you? you need to say to him we thank you Father that we can come to that place and connect with you every day and that you're here with us we thank you for the sacrifice, Jesus, that you paid so that we can have that connection. Thank you, Lord. Church, won't you stand as we continue with our worship? Thanks, Mandy. Just thinking as we were preparing these songs, the song, No Longer Slaves, We're no longer slaves to fear. With what happened in Europe yesterday, there's a lot of that going around. With our circumstances, with the situations around us, with what people are telling us, with what the economy is doing, with what's happening with your job. We're not slaves. We don't have to listen to that voice anymore. We can choose every day to listen to the other voice, the voice of the Father, who's so much closer than you know your saviour who's got you wrapped up in his arms so as we sing would you just focus on him as Kit has led us in doing with the father he's got you he's wrapped you up let him unravel your fear and just cover you with his love this morning
we come before you. Lord, this morning declaring, Lord, that you are our Lord God, we find ourselves here in your presence, Lord, with your grace and your love. All-compassing, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that loves his children so much that no matter what we're going through, no matter where we find ourselves, we can find ourselves sinking deep in you. I just really get the sense that there's some people going through some stuff at the moment. And God's saying this morning, just find yourself in Him. Maybe you're asking the questions even during the song that, what does sinking deep mean? What does encompassing love? We're going to continue on singing. And I just want you to make that the cry of your heart that, You want to give your all to God and just let Him into those situations and say, God, I invite you. You can just listen to the words or you can sing along. Just focusing on what God wants to shower over you, His love, His grace. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that as a church, Lord, we would have all of our walls down for you. 
And as your word comes, Lord, that we'd be open to receiving it. Lord, not just to hear it, but to walk out of this place as your sons and your daughters, living out your word, living in our communities, and people getting to see your love by, by what works in and through us, which is you, Lord. So we say, come and have your way, that your will happen this morning. And we invite you here. And everyone said, Amen. Excellent. You can take a seat. Hey, why don't we give the band awesome. Thank you so much, band. You guys are incredible. Hey, one thing I, I don't get to do that often, um, and I'm just going to do just before we get into the message and testimony. Can I grab um, every youth leader to stand up? There's, well, only won't be all of you here. I think some of them have gone away, but well, like Nicole, Stephen, Ben Ong at the back. Uh, why don't we just give these guys a massive round of applause? I just thought during worship, we, get a, we don't get a chance to, we often get to thank them in front of the youth, but... Um, I, I love it when parents actually do the thinking because um, youth, uh, youth are great and uh, they'll say thanks but, but these guys put in a whole lot of work throughout the year and uh, just, you know, four or five hours each week goes the, out of their personal time goes into leading youth and so if you see any of the youth leaders around just give them a pat on the back and say thank you would be awesome. Um, yeah, cool. Vona's going to come up and share a testimony, uh, and then Josh is going to share the word after that. Good morning, church. Um, in the middle of September, um, unknown to me, we were driving around, and God led my husband to take us to the base. And we walked around a bit and ended up in the food court at lunchtime, and we were having our meal, and I was just people watching and saw this older man cleaning tables and um, doing his job. And, you know, what fascinated me and impressed me was that he looked so happy doing it. You know, he was smiling and talking to the people that were having their meals, and it looked like he was having a great time. And, you know, I thought to myself, wow, what an amazing man that he would, you know, not think twice about putting on an apron and cleaning dishes um, for a living to support his family. And I clearly heard um, the voice of the Lord say to me, and he needs a car. And immediately my focus went to Calvin and I wondered, did he hear that? And uh, I looked around, did anyone else hear that? And it immediately my heart started pounding and I was very nervous. And I said to Calvin, would you look at that guy over there and see if you get anything from God about him? Calvin said, nah, why, what did you get? So I told him. So he says, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, I don't know. I said, I can't go up to this random stranger in the mall and say to him, do you need a car? <laughs> so we got up to leave and Calvin stopped and he said, are you going to leave with that? I said, well, you go talk to him. He's a man. You're a man. You go talk to him. He said, no, but I didn't get the word. You got the word. You've got to be obedient. So I stood in this aisle and all the people were like going around us. It was really quite embarrassing. And I was thinking, am I going to do this or not? And... Um, for a moment I saw that he was alone at his cleaning station and I just practically almost rushed up to him. And I said, excuse me. And he looked at me. I said, this is going to sound really, really strange, but do you have a car? And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, no, actually I don't. He said, I had one, but it's broken. And he said, and I've been walking to work. 
And I was just in tears. And I said to him, you know what? Um, God just told me that you needed a car. We are Christians and um, I believe the Lord just told me you needed a car. And I know that it was God in that moment when it happened because we just lost our job the day before. And we were, I was in a mess. My head was in a mess because I've never been in that situation and I didn't know what we were going to do. And, and it's in that very moment that I heard God and the car wasn't even on my mind. Giving it away wasn't even my, in my mind. My own problems were in my mind. And instead God, had, God pointed me to someone who had a bigger problem than mine. And um, so we agreed to stay in touch with him and, um, you know, got the vehicle ready for him. It took about two months um, after relocating and everything and we fixed up a few things that we wanted. You know, we wanted to give him a good, a good car and it was nice and cleaned up. Because like David said, I don't give God anything that didn't cost me anything. And so we did the best we could and, um, you know, we um, handed it over to him on Thursday this week. And um, he was just really overcome with emotion because he said to me that day we spoke to him that he woke up that morning and had a sense that someone was going to speak to him today about a car. And we came along and we did. And I felt really ridiculous doing it, but God is just so good. And so... um, we met him at the base, did the transfer of the papers, and um, I think what really struck me was that he said it's going to be good to go to the supermarket to buy groceries for a change because he's been buying them from his local dairy, and that can get quite expensive, and he just said that he was just shaking, so nervous. I don't think he thought it was real. He said he thought it was a dream. I think he didn't think we were going to be there, but we were. And so I just told him, I said, if, um, just remember that whatever you did, whether you asked to pray to God or whether it was just wishful thinking, I said, God heard your voice and he wanted you to have this. And I said, so if you'd ever like to know this God that loves you, to hear, you know, your prayers, this is where our church is. And I told him to come if he would like to meet him. Isn't that a great example of expressing God's goodness? What a cool story, eh? Challenging. Awesome, awesome story. Well, this morning we're going to continue our year-long theme of goodness, so that was a a brilliant introduction. Um, Pastor Sheridan's been speaking about goodness from the book of Ephesians this year, and Pastor Ray from the book of Philippians. And of course, we know that goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that's found in the book of Galatians. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that God wants us to grow in. Do you want to grow in goodness? I hope you do because that's what we're talking about this morning. (laughs) So before we get started, I'd like us to pray and I'd like each of us to ask God to speak to us this morning because it's his voice that's the most important one that we hear. So let's bow our heads and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. He can say this after me. Lord, I choose to open my heart to you this morning. Please speak to me. I give you permission to challenge and stir me. May your goodness overflow in me. Amen. So God wants us to grow in goodness. 
But there are some misconceptions about goodness that I think are really easy for us to get trapped into believing. So this morning I'm speaking about four myths about goodness that can stump our growth and cause us to be ineffective. So I just want to see a quick show of hands. Who wants to be ineffective in your Christianity? (laughs) No one, I hope. Because we want to be effective for Christ, don't we? We want our lives to make a difference, right? Well, the trouble with these misconceptions or these myths, as I've called them, is that at first glance, they can actually seem true or at least justifiable. And it's not until we start to dig deeper into them that we see how they can stump our growth and cause our Christianity to be far less effective than what God wants. But if we identify them and change our approach to them, then we can express the full goodness that God desires in our lives, which is what makes an impact in the world around us. And that's what we want, isn't it? Yeah. So, we've got four myths to get through. Now, number four, you might completely disagree with, but I'm hoping I can convince you, but we're going to start at the top. So, we're going to start by looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, so turn with me to Luke chapter 10. So we lose some of the impact in the story nowadays with the Good Samaritan because the Good Samaritan has become a synonym for someone who's, just, who's good, someone who's kind, someone who goes out of their way to help others. But Jesus choosing to use a Samaritan as the hero in the story was a complete shock to his audience. The Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. They did not like each other. Um, Tension was high and it had grown over several centuries. So Samaritans believed that they were the true descendants of Abraham and that their way to worship God was true. They'd even built a temple for, to worship God, and 150 years before Jesus was ministering, historians tell us that the Jews had destroyed that temple. And then about 25 years before Jesus was ministering, the, the Samaritans had desecrated the Jewish temple by scattering human bones in it during Passover, so the biggest Jewish festival of the year. So can you see that the cross-cultural tension is a bit, a bit high there? There's a, there's a lot of tension. There's even been um, sides killing people on each side, killing the others and attacking. So there's a lot. Now, not, not everyone was like that. Not all Samaritans, not all Jews were like that. But can you imagine the general mistrust that's there? And so it's within this context that Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritans. So we're going to read it. And just to try and help you gain a little bit more of that impact, I'm going to change a couple of the characters for you. So, Luke 10, are you in Luke 10? Good, we're starting at verse 25, so we're picking up the story just as the uh, expert in the law is asking Jesus a question. So, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he'd obviously been listening to Jesus, because that's exactly what Jesus was teaching. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside of the road. By chance, a pastor came along. But when he saw him lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. 
a church musician walked over and looked at him lying there on the road, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Muslim came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Muslim soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Does changing the characters smack you around the head a bit more with the impact of the story that Jesus had on his original listeners? I don't like a Muslim being the hero of the story. The Jews certainly didn't like a Samaritan being the hero of the story. But Jesus did it very, very deliberately to draw out some points. So we're going to look at those points, and we're starting with myth number one. First myth about goodness. Goodness is all about our actions, doing good things. Now, when you first listen to this parable, you might think that Jesus is saying, we need to do more good things. We need to do more good things for others. It's all about our actions. But Jesus' message about goodness is much, much deeper than this. Because while goodness is expressed with our actions, it starts in our hearts. And that is the message that Jesus was um, communicating in this parable. And he did it in two different ways. He brought out issues of the heart. One of them was obvious, and one of them not, not so obvious. So let's start with the obvious one. First one, obvious, the Pharisee and the Levite, or in our story, the pastor and the church musician. Jesus was pointing out that their hearts were in the wrong place by contrasting it with someone that they looked down on, someone that they didn't agree with, someone they didn't like. In our case, the Muslim. And Jesus was contrasting, the, contrasting it by saying, look at their heart and how they responded compared with the hearts of the people who walked by. And the point is this. We can look godly on the outside. We can say we're a Christian and we believe all the right things, but that doesn't mean our hearts are in the right place. If we find ourselves closing off to helping others, if we find ourselves more concerned with our own needs and less aware of the needs of people around us, then our heart is drifting from God's heart. And Jesus was pointing out that someone who isn't a Christian may even express God's goodness better than we do. Ouch. Does that hurt? That's the impact of the story that that Jesus was having. It's a bit painful, isn't it? So that's the first. That was the obvious way. So now the, the less obvious way. That Jesus pointed out that it was issues of the heart. He did this by twisting the question that the teacher of the law asked. So if you look in verse 29, we've just heard, love your neighbor as yourself, and then the expert of the law asks, who is my neighbor? So what he's asking is, so who do I have to love? And you can see at the end of the parable, Jesus completely twists his question around. Instead of who is my neighbor, Jesus says, who was a neighbor to the man in need? Who was a neighbor? 
the point is this. We don't help people based on who they are. Are they close enough to us? Do they deserve it? We help people based on who we are. Are we someone who is going to be a neighbor to people in need? So the expert in the law, he had all the right words. Jesus asked him a question, and he was very eloquent in his response. He had the right words. He could say the right things. But can you see that by Jesus twisting the question around, he was showing them, your heart is not in the right place. So the question is, God, what's in my heart? Is there anything in my heart that is stopping your goodness from flowing? Have I let selfishness creep in? What have I let creep in? Lord, is there anything that you need to deal with in my heart so that goodness can flow? Because it's not just about our actions. Goodness is not just about doing good things. We need to have our hearts in the right place and then God can flow through us. What type of Christian do we want to be? I think our hearts are in the right place when we become a people who see a need and do something about it. Is that the type of Christian you'd like to be? Let God stir your heart. Okay, myth number two. Myth number two says, oh sorry, truth number one. Truth number one is goodness is an issue of the heart. Hope you got that by now. Myth number two. Goodness shouldn't cost us. Have you ever had to do something when your heart just wasn't in it? What do you do? You just do the bare minimum to get by, right? I think it's exactly the same with goodness. If our hearts aren't in the right place, then the way we approach goodness is, what's the bare minimum I have to do in order to be able to tick the box that says goodness? But when our hearts are in the right place, when God has our heart, our resources become his resources. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, he spent both time and money helping the person in need. He stopped, he bandaged his wounds, he took him to the inn, he then paid for his accommodation, paid for his hospital bills. Here's a newsflash. Christianity is expensive. <laughs> Demonstrating goodness the way the Bible gives examples of, it's expensive. And that's okay. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We live in a selfish world, and it's really easy for our hearts to start to just take on some of that selfishness, the self-focusedness that, is, that surrounds us. But God actually calls us to live opposite of that. And the good news is that there's an easy way to stop greed in its tracks. There is an antidote to greed. The antidote to greed is generosity. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 17. It says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, the normal way we read this verse is, 
I hope those Christians who are rich read this verse. <laughs> Isn't it? It's what we do. Well, I'm not rich. That doesn't apply to me. We can always find someone who's got more money than us. Always. I listen to interviews with multi-millionaires, and they don't feel that rich because they know billionaires. I heard a guy talking once. He had this, he's got a 50-foot yacht. But then a 75-foot yacht pulled up alongside him, and he wasn't happy anymore. Didn't feel as rich anymore. We can always find someone who's got more money than us. But we can also always find someone who's got less money than us. Can you think of someone who's got less money than you? Because in their minds, you're rich. Now, I acknowledge there's times in our life when finances are completely tough, incredibly, just an absolute struggle. If you're not in that situation right now, this verse applies to you. So it says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. See, sometimes we think, oh, when I get... A million bucks, then I'll, then I'll be generous. Some people say, when I win lotto, then I'll, then I'll give. No, the Bible tells us to be generous now. It's not, a, it's not a future command for one day when, it's now. We're to be generous and full of goodness now. True Christianity is expensive. But when God has our hearts, then we'll let our resources flow in acts of goodness. Let's be a people who see a need and choose to do something about it. And the Bible makes it clear that one of our biggest priorities is actually to look after our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have a look at uh, Galatians 6, verse 10. It says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. John 13, 35 your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 1 John 3, 16 to 17. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion on them, how can God's love be in that person? Do you see that it's a strong theme? It's not just one verse. There's a strong theme throughout the Bible of looking after our brothers and sisters in Christ, looking after everyone. It says be willing to help everyone in need, especially those in the family of God. Last week we had the Church in Action offering, which was specifically used to help people who are struggling financially in church, who you may not even know their needs, but by giving into that offering we can help. You can still give into that if you want to. So the myth is that goodness shouldn't cost us. The truth, expressing God's goodness can be expensive, and that's okay. God calls us to use our resources to help others. I have a friend who, um, there are a couple who have just had their first baby. He's in business for himself, and this year, business has been tough, incredibly tough. And of course, because I've just had the first baby, his wife's no, no longer working, and finances are tight. Christian couple, 
And they had a, a friend in Auckland, a Christian friend in Auckland, who, while he was working, had been setting aside money in order to give to people in need. And just before they had their baby, he came and gave them $2,000 cash to help them out. How amazing is that? Isn't that a cool example of expressing the goodness of God? I mean, imagine being that couple. Can you imagine the relief you would feel with that support? Wouldn't you want to be part of a church where that kind of thing happens all the time? Yeah. What about Vona's story? Wow, giving a car to someone in need because God said, and they had a, a car there that had been thinking of selling it, oh, no, no, I mean, let's give it away. Wow, wasn't that a cool story? Act of goodness. These kind of stories take my mind to Romans 15, 14, in which Paul writes, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. Wouldn't you want Pastor Ray and Sheridan to say that over you? I am fully convinced that you are full of goodness. It's a good verse, eh? Let's aim for that. So are you willing to look for opportunities to help others? Looking for people in need, especially in the family of Christ, where we can support. Okay, myth number four. Sorry, three. I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. Now, this isn't even the one that I said you might disagree with me on. That's coming next. This one here, you might look at it and you think, but goodness is just doing practical things for people, isn't it? I don't need the supernatural. If I took the word God out of that sentence, then you'd be absolutely right. We do not need the supernatural to express goodness. But God's goodness requires both the natural and the supernatural. You know, wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. Well, let's look at how Jesus expressed uh, goodness. So we see in Acts 10 verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went around doing good and healing all. It came as a package deal. That's how Jesus expressed God's goodness. So he expressed God's goodness naturally and supernaturally. He expressed it naturally through showing mercy to the woman caught in adultery. Through letting the children come to him when the disciples had said no. Through having meals with people that the religious leaders despised, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards. Jesus expressed God's goodness naturally. He also expressed it supernaturally through healing blind Bartimaeus, through raising the widow's son from the dead, through healing the lepers, healing the demon-possessed boy, healing the paralyzed man who was carried on the mat, and all the other miracles he did. Can you see that Jesus expressed God's goodness naturally and supernaturally? And it didn't stop there. The disciples also expressed God's goodness naturally and supernaturally. If you look in Acts 3, Peter and John healed the lame man at the gate beautiful. Acts 5, the sick were brought into the streets just so the apostles would walk by so they'd be healed. Acts 9, Ananias heard the word from the Holy Spirit telling him to go and pray for Saul. So in the face of fear, he obeyed and that act of goodness released the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 
Also in Acts 9, Peter prayed for a man who had been paralyzed for eight years and he was healed. God's goodness being released supernaturally. If we remove the supernatural out of goodness, we are limiting God's goodness that he wants to express through us. So the myth is that I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. The truth, God wants us to express his goodness naturally and supernaturally. And I find this one a real challenge. This is something that I'm growing and being, being challenged about, especially in regards to healing. So I'll give you a couple of things that I've learned in regards to healing. The first one that I'm learning on my journey, never pray, if you're praying for someone for healing, never pray, God, if it's your will, please heal them. Don't. It is not biblical. It is a faithless prayer. You look in the book of Acts. I've gone through and I've studied every single miracle in the book of Acts. Look at how they prayed. They commanded healing. We are to command healing. Now, we're not commanding God. God has commanded us to heal the sick. So we lay hands on people and we command the body to be healed. We command the sickness to leave. That's how we are to pray. That's one of the things I've learned. The other thing I've learned along the way is that we've learned unbelief when we pray for people. And what I mean by that is we will pray for people to be healed and not expect them to be healed. And it's a challenge because I think what happens is when we pray for people, it weighs more on our mind the people who haven't been healed instead of the people who have been healed. And we need to somehow push out of our mind or at least not place our faith in the, on the stories or the experiences of people who haven't been healed and remember the healings that we have seen. Remember that God does heal. Catherine Coleman was amazing at this. So she was around in the mid-20th century, incredible healing ministry. She would see hundreds of miracles in a single night. People getting out of wheelchairs, people healed of cancer, like all sorts of crazy stuff. She would be found afterwards backstage crying over the people who hadn't been healed. She knew that not everyone got healed. She felt the pain of it. But she didn't let her, it stop her from praying in faith for more people to be healed. And she saw hundreds and thousands more people healed because she kept praying. So something I've found that helps break out of this, this learned unbelief is quite simply, when we pray for someone, ask Ask them how they are afterwards. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's quite funny. So I had a couple of friends that we were, we were um, praying together, and one of them said that he had a sore back. Could we pray for it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So we prayed for his back. At the end of the prayer, we said, okay, so how was it? And the look on his face was kind of this message of, you mean I was supposed to get healed just then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were oh, okay, oh, that's a little bit better. Great, let's pray again. And then the pain completely went. And it's this change of expectation when we ask. We're actually expecting God to do something. Instead of praying and, oh, I'm not going to ask now because God probably didn't heal. Let's ask and start to see the miracles. And I've found that the more I've asked, the more actual instant miracles I'm seeing. But it's, it's a challenge though because just this week I prayed for a friend who had a, a really painful knee. And when I prayed for him, I had to consciously decide, I'm going to ask how it is afterwards. And the pain had dramatically decreased. So ask, that's how we can 
break ourselves out of unbelief. But the supernatural isn't just for healing. We heard Vona's story this morning of a word of knowledge in the middle of food court that that guy over there needs a car. Wow, I've never experienced anything like that. And it makes me think, God, I want more of you. Lord, teach me to hear your voice more. Can you see that combining the natural and the supernatural is how God wants to flow through us. He wants to express his full goodness in the world. It requires both the natural and the supernatural. Okay. So we've looked at truth number three. Now, we're coming to the one that you might disagree with me on. Here it is. Myth number four. I'll love people until they ask why. Now, I'm sure you've heard this statement before, and you may even love it. I think it's a myth that will cause us to be ineffective. Does it sound controversial? (laughs) It's okay. I spoke to Ray this week. We had a really good talk about it. He totally agrees, so so we're insane fans. (laughs) See, there's good parts and there's bad parts about this statement. The good part that I like is this uh, this impression that we're going to love people incredibly so that it makes an impact on them. Love it. Absolutely love that. The part that's not good about this statement is that it implies that we're not actually going to share the gospel with people until they ask. And that's not good. Let me do an experiment to test why. Can you think of someone who isn't a Christian, who is genuine, who you know, who is genuinely kind, loving, generous type of person? Can you think of someone like that? If you can, I want you to put up your hand. Put up your hand if you can think of someone who's not a Christian, genuinely kind. Yeah, keep your hand up. Awesome. Now, keep your hand up if you've ever asked them why they are so kind. We've got one, two. Wow. We've got ourselves a problem. If we are going to wait until they ask us before we share the gospel... We don't even ask them why. Why should they ask us? We are going to fail to share the gospel with so many people who need to hear it. So the truth is goodness does not replace my need to share the gospel with words. Nowhere in the Bible do I see them loving and showing kindness and then waiting until the person asks before they share the gospel. It's just not biblical. And as we've seen from our hands, we're not going to share the gospel with very many people at all who desperately need to hear it if we wait. What's more, the gospel is true goodness. The gospel is the good news. It's the message of forgiveness. It's the message of salvation. We have to share it. How can we really express goodness if we're withholding the message of goodness, which is the gospel? So we have to find ways to be able to turn these natural conversations into spiritual conversations, Find ways to actually be able to express the truth of God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you haven't yet accepted Christ into your life, we want you to experience goodness. We want you to experience friendliness. We want you to be welcome. We want you to enjoy it. But we also want you to hear the message of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for our sins on a cross and rose again. And by believing in him, our sins can be forgiven. And then we receive eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. If you believe in Christ, you can receive forgiveness for your sins and receive eternal life. 
That's the message we want you to hear. That's the message we need to share with people along the journey. So let's be a people who see a need and do something about it and share the good message of the gospel along the way. So we've looked at four myths this morning. So I'm just going to run through them briefly again to sum up. So we looked at the myth number one, goodness is all about our actions, doing good things. When the truth is that goodness is an issue of the heart, it starts in our heart. If you're not expressing the goodness of God the way he wants you to express it, don't look to your actions, look to your heart. Ask God, what, what do you need to change inside of me in order to let your goodness flow? We looked at goodness shouldn't cost us. Whereas the truth is that expressing goodness can be expensive and that's okay. God calls us to use our resources to help others. Myth number three, I don't need the supernatural to express God's goodness. Whereas the truth, God wants to express his goodness through us naturally and supernaturally. And finally, I'll love people until they ask why. Goodness does not replace our need to share the gospel with words. What's God stirring in your heart today? The first challenge is to get our hearts right with God. That's the first challenge. That's the most important. Is God stirring something in your heart that needs to change? Once our heart's in the right place, there are a huge, enormous, unlimited number of ways that we can express God's goodness. Some of the creative ones I've thought of in the last couple of weeks would be, have you got a spare seat in your car? Well, maybe you can bring someone to church with you. I run Faith 101, which is the new Christians classes that we run here. Last week, we had three people who couldn't attend because they didn't have a ride to church. Imagine if we could just pick people up, bring them to church. Maybe you love admin. Well, we need someone to organize that. Like, what about helping solo mums, maybe with the lawns or with babysitting, uh, providing meals or, or you know, doing financial help for people? There's all sorts of things that we can do. Church in action offering. Maybe you need to start praying for people who need healing. Outside of that, okay, what about sponsoring a child, donating to a crisis, working in a charity? Maybe someone needs to change their career out of one that pays well into one that God is calling you into. I don't know, there's all sorts of things. Once our heart's in the right place, what does God want to bubble out of you in goodness? So let's take a moment, let's do some business with God. Why don't we close our eyes? What's God challenging you with this morning? When you ask God if there's anything here that he wants to stir within you, if there's any of these myths that you've embraced that you need to repent of, if there's anything in your heart that is blocking his goodness flowing that you need to repent of, take some time with God right now. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't yet made that decision to accept Christ as your leader. You haven't yet received Christ's forgiveness. Well, this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to accept that. And shortly, if this is you, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up above your head just so I can see it. Because we've talked about goodness this morning, but being good does not get us into heaven. 
The Bible is very clear that we've all done things wrong. We've all sinned. And no amount of goodness can make up for that. And that's why Jesus came to die on a cross for us. So that by believing in him, we can receive forgiveness for our sins and receive eternal life. And if you'd like to respond to that this morning, just while everyone's eyes are closed, I'd just like you to slip up your hand right now and let me see it. And you're saying, Jesus, I believe in you and I accept your forgiveness. Why don't you slip your hand up right now? I'm looking around the room. Saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Please forgive me. Okay, I haven't seen any hands, but if you'd like to talk to us afterwards, you can come and talk to myself or anyone in a green t-shirt and just ask some more questions. Thank you, church. I hope you've done some business with God in this morning, sorry, this week. Let's be a people who see a need and do something about it. Awesome. Let's give Josh a hand. That was an awesome word. Who, uh, who felt challenged by a part of that? I know I sure did. And, and uh, it's going to be a great, have a great rest of your Sunday. We're going to finish off with the song, but just before you do, I'll try and remember all the afternoon announcements type things. We've got, we're, as a church, we're purposed in our giving. So um, on your left as you go out, both sets of doors, there's a brown uh, giving station. So uh, if you'd like to drop your gift off there. Also, um, make sure you come see me about the Oscars and sign up. Um, because seats are limited and you will miss out if you don't get in quick. Good? Have I missed anything else? I don't think so. As a church, won't we stand and we're going to we're going to praise God one last time and have a great week. Be blessed. Oh, no, I did. I'll win. I'm speaking tonight. A real good looking guy. So um, so come up. For our, throughout the whole year, I have been speaking on um, a series called Proud to Be, which is looking at the legacy of Christians in our world and bringing goodness and uh, lessons that we can learn from that. So I'm doing a sum up tonight. So it's like having four messages in one, which doesn't mean you can skip church for the next four weeks, but uh, make sure you come along. Uh, it'll be good to see you there. Cool. Well, why don't you stand and we'll go out with the song. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Praise, while I can feel the change as your presence.
you feel 